today on Ag News Daily. I think specifically GMO is actually a good example of making people realise, A, that we have been doing this for a very long time and that people are just, for some reason, uncomfortable by the fact that technology is now doing that rather than um, self-selection. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a crisp fall day here in central Iowa. Here in here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, my name is Delaney Howell, joined by my co-host Mike Pearson. And Mike, it feels good to be back in God's country today. I bet it does, Delaney. You're back up in Yankee land, as they probably call it down there in Kentucky. Oh, I don't know about that. But I had a good trip to Kentucky. You guys heard some interviews yesterday from my trip down there. It was a really neat facility. The Bluegrass Stockyards facility is just like not like anything that I feel like we have around here with seven different locations all mm. kind of playing into one larger stockyards company do we have anything like that mm, nothing's coming to no, mind no i know it's just um, really neat and they've got a lot of rich history like not that iowa doesn't have history but i feel like yeah kentucky in particular the history there is awesome i mean they've got tobacco country they've got horse country cattle country bourbon bourbon mm-hmm. yeah it's mm-hmm. just like and lexington especially is kind yeah. of like what are my favorite the cities? old southern and if Colonial. you go south of Lexington, you'll find a place that I just love. It's that bluegrass country, Harrodsville, mm-hmm. Harrodsburg, okay. all those little towns in yeah. there. They're just gorgeous, windy roads. It is. It's very different I, from Iowa. I um, learned an interesting fact while I was there because, as you know, in a lot of the podcasters know, I was in Ireland about a month mm-hmm. ago now. And I was talking to my friend, Laura Barber, who's one of the order buyers for Barber Cattle Company, who's our Market Monday sponsor. And I w- she was asking me how my trip was. And I said, you know, it actually, it was gorgeous, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, it kind of looks like Lexington, doesn't it? And I was like, you know what? It really does. It's green. They use stone walls. A, A lot, lot of, of Irish people live in Lexington. I was like, wow, that is, that makes so much sense. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's fun. You can see patterns of migration in a lot of different places across the country. Yes, you absolutely can. Huh. What are you doing? I've got like a, like an ingrown <laughs> hair or something on my lip, and it kind of hurts. I'm so, glad we're uh, talking about this on the podcast. Yeah, okay. well, listeners, you've, you're up to date on all of my medical yeah. ailments, but uh, this is a new one, and I, I don't like it. Um, but, Delaney, the big yes. question, of course, is you're in Lexington. It's horse racing country. Yes. I understand you did some research at uh-huh. a racetrack while you were down there. Yep. Did you win? I won $6. Win, place, or show? What were you betting? I can't remember if I did a place or a show bet. Okay. I bet the wrong thing. I meant to do an exacta box Ah. because that means I can come in first or second, and I ended up doing... The other one? The other one. Place or show. I can't remember which one is second So how much would you have won? Uh, I don't know. I think... I don't know. More. I don't even understand the odds exactly, but yeah, Yeah. more. I I walked out ahead... There you go. But then I had a beer, so then I was down again. So, you know, All I right. paid for my drink. There you go. That's not bad. That yeah. is better than a lot of people can do. And you know, Delaney, when you're down there in Kentucky and you're drinking, what were you drinking? Beer. Oh, just a beer. Okay. Or vodka. Okay. No bourbon. All right. I was Next say, time I go, I'm going to do a bourbon tour, though. You should, because that is the original value add for the corn market. Yes. They were making bourbon because it was the only way mm-hmm. you could profitably ship corn out of I Kentucky. I just read a book about that, The Worst Hard Times, mm-hmm. when they kind of settled into the plains and no man's land. They talk about that because that was during Prohibition era. They used a lot of the extra corn to make corn bourbon and corn whiskey. Darn right. Darn right. And you know, we're still doing the same thing today, both we in are. Kentucky with Maker's Mark and Woodford Reserve uh-huh. and the others, but also in Iowa. We just don't call it bourbon. We call it 
Ethanol. Ethanol, that's right. I don't no. think you should drink that as a disclaimer. Um, you can before it's been denatured. But huh. once it's been denatured, then it's it's gross. I don't think I'd try it either way. I think it's basically like Everclear before oh, it gets denatured. I believe yeah, it. Yeah, you can soak a watermelon in it. Uh, but but listeners, don't don't go break into an ethanol plant and try to drink no, it. No, don't do this that. Is, none of this is medically sanctioned advice. Um, <laughs> we've got a bit of a downer report here from Reuters. It kind of comes back to something we've talked about a couple of times on the podcast after President Trump's announcement of year-round E15 sales. Mm-hmm. Reuters says they don't believe this is going to have a huge impact on the market. In fact, they say it will have a very limited impact on the depressed ethanol market. Currently, we have record supplies of ethanol. Mm-hmm. And prices are hovering near the lowest in the decade. Right now, Delaney, do you want to guess how many stations are selling E15? Well, we just had a conversation, I feel like, with an ethanol guy last week at the rally. It's not very many. Do you remember? A percentage or a number? A number. For the total country? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, a thousand. You're, yes, very close. 1,300. The RFA, the Renewable Fuels Association, says that number could double mm-hmm. to 2020, but not until late 2019. That or still doesn't seem like that many gas stations. It's not. There's 122,000 gas stations, and we could be in 2,700 of them. However, anything that draws down corn stocks is going to be beneficial to the market, even if it's on yeah, the Yeah, and I think... I was talking to Kurt Meathers, who's the newest Iowa Corn mm-hmm. Growers Association president, and his thought is it's also very psychological because now grow- gas stations know that they're not right. going to get shut off in June, so they might be more apt to transitioning right. to E15. Absolutely. Hopefully that's the plan, and you know, anytime you're making a forecast, you have no idea what the future is mm-hmm. going to hold, so that's true. who knows? What do you, you got know. for us, Delaney? I've got some good news for our livestock callers, Mike. Yesterday I saw some news drop that six groups representing various sectors of animal agriculture have petitioned the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration to grant livestock truckers an extended workday that could last as long as 16 hours. And I was actually sitting with Laura Barber when this news dropped yesterday and I was reading it out to her and she said, you know, that's pretty good because they ship so many cattle across the country. They could get them pretty much to western Nebraska in 16 hours. In 16 hours. Good. So it would allow, and then there's an additional like 150 mile radius. I think if you're within 150 miles of your destination, you're allowed to Hammer go. Down and I go. think that's the way I understood it. Nice. Well, that would be good news. That's, yeah. that's something livestock haulers need, whether you're hauling cattle, you're hauling hogs, or you're hauling bees. It's key yeah. to get those things to their, it is. their point of destination alive. Because that's when folks get paid. Yeah. Well, while we're speaking of livestock production, Delaney, we have an update from one of our favorite countries in the world, Brazil. We talked last year about Operation Car Wash. Wasn't that Mm -hmm. what it was called? Mm -hmm. Weak Flesh. Operation Weak Flesh. I don't remember that. This was the one they were looking into 41 or they were looking into 60 different executives of food companies. Uh They made allegations against 41 of these people for fraud, for misrepresentation of food products. And today they are announcing new allegations against former BRF, the large meat packer down there, their former chairman, Abilio Deniz and former chief executive officer Pedro de Andrade Faria. Faria. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you say it in Portuguese. Uh, Do they roll their R's like in Spanish? I think so. Faria. Faria. I don't know. Sorry, uh, Pedro. Um, But (laughs) basically they're saying that these guys withheld damaging information when they were at the company and they're getting all this through a series of WhatsApp messages and emails that were exchanged between the two executives about hiding data. 
yeah, the Fed's got that, and now they've indicted them, and of course they've come out and said, no, we're not, That's we didn't ironic. do anything bad. But, you know, this is, it was that Operation Weak Flesh that suspended Brazilian meat exports for a couple months back oh, there in 2016, okay. 2017, and uh, now it seems like it's finally maybe moving towards some kind of a resolution. Huh. Yeah, I do kind of remember that vaguely now that you say that. Big story. Yeah. We talked extensively about it. Yeah. Weak Flesh. Car yeah, Wash no, was I the other it. one. I Okay, now I, Yeah. I do. You don't. But yes, go I ahead. Do. Okay, whatever. Anyways, um, got some news out today about Hurricane Michael impacts, and we're going to be talking actually tomorrow or later. We're talking to, officially talking to Ashley Arrington tomorrow. Good. Might play it either tomorrow or later this week about the impacts she's seen. She said that should give her enough time to talk to her producers, see what impacts they've had from Michael and from Florence. But we've got some news here from the USDA. After their latest reports, only about 35% of the national cotton crop is rated good to excellent, which was down from 42% before the storm hit. And now 31% of the U.S. cotton crop is rated poor to very poor, which is up 25% from a week ago. We've also seen um, early estimates that indicate that now 54% of Georgia's cotton is rated poor to very poor, but that's not confirmed yet. And the other group that's getting hit pretty hard in ag is the peanut farmers. Mm. Georgia peanut farmers also saw a very large impact from Hurricane Michael, and about 17% of the crop is now rated poor to very poor, which is up 6%. And Georgia accounts for nearly half of the peanuts grown in the United States. And that state was about 38% harvested before the storm came through. So still waiting to hear from some of those or see some of those damages officially. But like I said, we're going to have Ashley on tomorrow to talk about what she's seen from her producers. All right. So stay tuned. It'll be good to get some uh, boots on the ground knowledge about what has happened down there. Because, yeah, Hurricane Michael, absolutely devastating. I saw a video. I think it was floating around on Facebook Uh or maybe Twitter of uh, cattle in the Florida Mm. panhandle that were swimming. And they were being led to safety by three swimming farm dogs. Oh, wow. The farm dogs were leading them to higher ground. I mean, in times of trouble, oftentimes we see pretty amazing things. Yeah. And, and I'm sure we've seen acts of, of hero- heroism uh-huh. amongst people and uh, farmers down there as well. Now, someplace you don't see a lot of heroism, Delaney, yes. Washington, D.C., Typically not a place for heroes. And uh, we've got some other absolutely non-heroic news here. Um, But they're still slugging away. House Ag Committee Chairman Michael Conaway said yesterday at a meeting in Omaha that he and other main negotiators on the Farm Bill are still working through issues with commodity and conservation programs. But they are intent, and he said this repeatedly, on getting a Farm Bill done by the end of the year. I'm having less and less encouragement that this is going to get through by the end of the year. I was pretty optimistic there for a while. It seems like they had been meeting a lot. Yeah. They had the farm bill or they had the house and the Senate version done pretty Yeah, boom, boom, boom. I'm not I'm losing hope for sure that it's gonna get done. Yeah, having an intention doesn't do yeah. us any good until no. the deal is signed by yeah. Mr. Trump as yeah. President Trump. Well actually that that's a good segue here to my last piece of news and that's a intention for some more trade Expansion. Hooray! Specifically in Africa. Good. Yes. So, Nigeria. No. Oh. I know. I'm surprised by that too. That that wasn't on the list. South Africa. Nope. So the Trump administration is Liberia. considering free trade agreements with the Ivory Coast, okay, Ghana, and sure. Kenya. Interesting. Those are the top three at the list of African nations, according to a new report from the USDA's Foreign Agricultural Services. 
Southern Africa, which is home to 167 million people, is also really high importance to them right now. But I just thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that'd be good to see. We need something, everything we can do to get these uh, commodity crops off our shores and into the waiting mouths of hungry buyers. Oh, also, happy United Nations Food and Agricultural Day. Yes. That seems like a mouthful. Happy World Food Day. Day. That's a better way to say it. Right, because, of course, World Food Prize gets started this this week. week. We're going to be there on Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, so listeners, stay tuned. We'll be bringing you updates from the World Food Prize. They've got a very cool Nobel or World Food Laureate this year. Uh But uh, we'll talk about that on Thursday. So, listeners, stay tuned. Delaney, I'm out of news. Should we jump into the markets? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks. And our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, folks, it is never too late to put a marketing plan in place for either your 2018 or your 2019 crops. Give our friends at Zaner a call to do just that. You can reach them at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at zaner.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, today, not surprisingly, we're giving back a lot of yesterday's gains in the corn market. December contract down three cents at 375 and a quarter. The March also down three to close at 387 and a quarter. In soybeans, the November off six and three quarter cents at 884 and three quarters. The January down six and a half. Close the day at 899 and a quarter. Slipped below that nine dollar mark. In Chicago wheat, the December contract dropped one and a half cents at 523 and a half. The March down a quarter penny to close at 543 and a half. Jumping over to the world of livestock here, we saw some mixed trade on the day. Looking first at the live cattle complex. October live cattle down 72.5 cents at 112.65. The December down 20 to close at 117.77.50. And in feeders, the October contract down $1.0750 at 154.02.5. The November down a dollar even. Close the day at 154.22.50. And slight strength today in lean hogs with the December contract up 12.5 cents at 56.87.50. The February up 35 at 64.25. And of course, we can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry. I had some delicious ice cream mm-hmm. with my lunch, and maybe it did them some good. The October contract, Class Three milk, up two cents at fifteen sixty-two, with the November up three cents at fifteen seventy-five. Our Tech Tuesday discussion is going to be a good one. We're chatting with Georgia Francis King about a series of articles being published on Quartz dealing with the future and the technology of food for hashtag Tech Tuesday. Well, we're going to be having an interesting discussion with Georgia Francis King, who is the ideas editor for Quartz. Going to be having an interesting discussion, as I mentioned. Georgia, first, why don't you give us the update or fill us in on what Quartz is and what you guys focus on? Sure. So we're a digital news publication. We like to call ourselves the guide to the new global economy for people who are excited by change. The project that we're talking a little bit about today is called What Happens Next, and it is this uh, ongoing project that you'll be seeing come out over the next month or two that has different chapters on the future of different parts of uh, industries that are going to be affecting the global economy. So the food industry in particular is very interesting to, uh, uh, to us right now because there are so many different ways that this could go. And when we're thinking about the future, which is something that we do at Quartz quite a lot, we often get tied up in these dystopian and utopian narratives. But the future doesn't have to be either one of those things. It's just the perspective that we put on it. And not one person wins the future either. So in my role as the ideas editor, of course, I try to bring all of these competing voices who have different visions for what their concept of the future looks like, because it'll be an amalgamation of all these different voices in the end. 
Now, let's dive into that because your future of food issue or or a series of articles is up now. And give mm-hmm. us an update. How many different takes do you have on the future of food here compiled at Quartz? So we have four uh, very specifically in the What Happens Next food chapter of What Happens Next. And then there's also an incredible we collaborated on with a publication called Retro Report uh, that has an additional take there. But when we were trying to decide what these four topics were, were going to be, these four essays, I wanted to have things that kind of disagree with each other a little bit. So, you know, uh, the first one is talking about how important our soil is in organic farming, because, you know, once we run out of soil, that's going to be it. We can't make more, uh, we can't, humans can't make more soil. That's, that's all that's nature. Uh, and then, you know, looking at automated farming, which is the exact opposite of, you know, letting nature do its thing. Then, of course, instead of farming animals, we can also farm cells and sell cellular agriculture. And then we have a final piece talking about GMO and, you know, if we're going to be feeding more mouths than ever before, we're probably going to have to get a little bit more comfortable with the idea that some of our crops will have to be genetically modified. Hmm. That's interesting. Georgia, how did you come up with the ideas for all of these contributors? I mean, what was the brainstorming process like to decide, okay, we definitely need one to talk about GMOs or soil health or whatever? Well, my favorite part of my job is that I, um, I'm hired to go down Wikipedia black holes, basically, <laughs> uh, and get to, get, get to uh, watch a whole bunch of obscure YouTube videos and um, go through uh, different academic Twitter feeds and all those kinds of things. So when we were looking for the different people we wanted to feature in this, I wanted to make sure that they had skin in the game so that they actually had some weight or some imperative behind whatever uh, they saw that future as being. So we have a real mix of people, actually. So um, Pamela Ronald, who is our, um, who's written a piece on how the biggest hurdle to genetically modified uh, genetic engineering isn't actually the science itself, it's us and our own uh, fallbacks with that. And she comes from, she's comes from quite an academic background, but is doing incredible research. Then we have someone like Brandon Alexander. He's our automated zooming guy. He has a, he's a CEO of a company called Iron Ox. And he actually came from being part of uh, Google's drone uh, program and now has his own company. So, mm. you know, his vision of the future, he needs to, he's throwing all of his money and way behind that. And, you know, Frederick Kirschman, our, you know, classic, classic organic food thinker, um, Isha Datar with New Harvest, these are all people who uh, can really speak with a lot of authority on these issues, but as I said before, really have skin in the game with hoping that their future is going to come true. Yeah, and you know it's interesting. Just so our listeners are aware, you mentioned a couple of the contributors there. You've got Pamela Ronald; she's the director of the Institute mm-hmm. for Food and Ag Literacy at UC Davis. Uh, Frederick Kirschman, who is the uh, president of the board of directors at Stone Barn Center for Food and Ag. Brandon Alexander, there's the uh, CEO of Ironox, former engineer at Google X's drone delivery program. And I like his his entire article. It's something I've thought about quite a bit, which is if farms are to survive. We need to think about them as tech companies. You know, we have to change the way of thinking about agriculture. And then uh, finally, Ishta Dater, the uh, – Dater, Dater. The, uh, in, my Australian, in my Australian accent, ours, don't, ours aren't a thing that exists in the first place. So, um. <laughs> the future of food is farming cells, not cattle. Now, you have had a couple of these pieces out now for a little while. Can you give us an update? What's the feedback, Ben, from your, your readers? 
Well, something that I always try to do whenever I'm approaching these kind of topics is rather than sometimes give people an entirely new idea and ask them to think about something entirely new, it's best to take a preconceived notion that they have and give them either a another element to think about it with or just try to inform them that maybe the way that they're thinking is not the correct way that they should be thinking. So, uh, for example, Pamela's piece on GMO, the most striking thing that uh, I found with it and that we're getting feedback from readers on is this idea that we've been genetically modifying organisms for centuries and centuries. Mm -hmm. Yes, now we're doing it with more CRISPR-Cas9-like technologies and getting very specific with the different genes that we're splicing. But, you know, we, this goes all the way back to, oh, that strawberry crop is, have, is producing bigger, fresher, tastier strawberries than the other one. So we're going to start crossbreeding those two strawberry plants and not include the, uh, the one that might not be giving us the crop that we want. So starting from there, we've always been in some way selecting uh, the kinds of crops that we, we uh, uh, want to propagate. And so therefore, people who get really anti-GMO is often not actually for the scientific reasons, it's because of other other um, hang-ups that they have. Um, you know, whether it's with uh, companies like Monsanto and um, uh, or if it's with them thinking that that means that a lot of crops could be sprayed with more pesticides because they're resilient. Now, while that is true, uh, sometimes these uh, these genetic modifications mean that you don't actually have to spray the crop, the, the crops mm -hmm. at all because they're making them bug resistant. So mm -hmm. you just can't ever put this one blanket statement on that X is bad or that X is good because, you know, these, these technologies are just tools and we can mm -hmm. use them for whatever good or bad we want. And it's, I've got just a quick follow-up with that. You mentioned you're challenging people's preconceptions. Um, you know, we do that a lot. Of course, we're working with a lot of technology in agriculture on the podcast. And so a lot of our listeners mm -hmm. have tried to have that conversation with their friends and family, particularly about organic mm -hmm. GMO stuff. And sometimes mm -hmm. when you confront people's pre-expectations, they, uh, they don't always react in the most friendly manner. Um, <laughs> do you get a fair bit of that as well? I mean, people don't like being told that they're wrong. Uh, but instead of telling people that they're wrong, I prefer, I prefer to give them another option uh, of a different way to think and then just let them percolate on it a little bit. I think specifically GMO is actually a good example of making people realize, A, that we have been doing this for a very long time and that people are just for some reason uncomfortable by the fact that technology is now doing that rather than um, self-selection. But then also things like, you know, I think it's something like 90% of cheeses in the U.S., uh, are made with a genetically modified enzyme. So if you were anti-GMO, I'm sorry, Brie and Camembert are no longer <laughs> And so, you know, trying to pre present people with uh, sometimes their own inconsistencies in the way that they think about the choices they make. And once you can present them with that, then there's, there's no real denying the, the truth. Georgia, that's really interesting that you've kind of taken on this role, what we call in agriculture as advocating. And I guess I don't know if you have a background. <laughs> oh, I in, love that. I don't know if you have a background in ag, but it really feels like you're kind of filling the gap for almost for producers to consumers by talking about some of this stuff. Did you ever have that intention going into this? Oh, certainly. So that's that's the number one goal that I have with my my work at Quartz. I I want to excite and educate people about the future. I don't want them to be fearful of it. I do, but I also don't want to think that them to think that there are these one-off solutions that are just going to solve everything. As I said before, one of the reasons why for this series I wanted to make sure there are a lot of very different uh, topics that we covered is because the future will be an amalgamation of all these things. And so, 
uh, if I can provide readers with as many different options, that will give them a clearer idea for the future and in an exciting way that is less Black Mirror-esque than mm -hmm. um, uh, a lot of the other content that's out there, then hopefully I've done my job. Hmm. Now, um, with the with the Future of Food series, is the four pieces just kind of all you're planning on doing for now? Is this something you'll be periodically revisiting as time goes on? No, it's just going to be a one-off. But it looks like off of your website here, you're also doing kind of the future of other things, the future of work, the future of cities. Mm -hmm. Is that something mm -hmm. that you're also heading up? So that's the, that's the What Happens Next project that you're talking about. So we just launched Future of Work today, which was the fifth chapter. There'll be 10 chapters in total. Next week, we're launching the Future of Home. And then after that, they'll be coming out once every two weeks. But then with actual courts, like QZ.com, the, the main part of uh, – and this is just a special project that we're doing. So we're normally publishing dozens and dozens and dozens of stories a day on QZ.com. And we have a full-time food reporter, Chase Purdy, who writes a lot about these different aspects as well. So we, we cover food a lot at court. Absolutely. It's one of the things that we all interact with. Mm -hmm. Food, yes. sleep, these you know, universal topics. And, uh, Georgia, you hit on it there a little bit. QZ.com is the place to go for the, the main page. Where can folks find specifically the uh, What Happens Next series? Uh, so you can either Google for it is, is one way, or you can find it on uh, QZ.com slash IS slash uh, what dash happens dash next dash two. So maybe Googling it's the best thing. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Georgia, we definitely appreciate you filling us in, and we're uh, hoping to continue this discussion with some of the contributors of the What is Next in Food installation. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Well, again, a big thank you to Georgia. Really interesting stuff that they're doing there. I encourage you guys to go out and just look through some of the articles we're going to be getting on some of the other contributors for future Tech Tuesday episodes. But if you want to listen to any of our past Tech Tuesday episodes or others, you can head to agnewsdaily.com. You can also connect with us on social media by searching for at agnewsdaily. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's go.